Today on the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk and TV, we'll be discussing uh, an interesting topic. You know, is there a ghost that's always involved with the haunting? We're going to find out. And then on News of the Weird, we don't have just one or two, but we have three stories that are truly strange. One, uh, two for myself, one from Stephen. And then we're going to head on down to the bayous and swamps of Louisiana and hunt down a dreaded beast that has been terrifying and could possibly be deadly. The Rougarou. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The Rougarou, a werewolf. And then on... We'll wrap it up with Ghost Watch, and we'll be uh, once again going with uh, part two of Trailing Peter Underwood, The Lovelorn Ghost. All that here and so much more on the Shadow Initiative, Paranormal Talk and TV with Stephen and Rick. my friends welcome to another episode of the shadow initiative paranormal talk and television the place where my camera can never stay in focus rick's always in focus and i apologize about that this is the place where we break the norm for paranormal talk we break the norm it's it's like rick always says shadow initiative talk is more fun than sticking a hot dog through a donut i've never said that but i actually like that (laughs) yeah i mean why not more fun than sticking a a hot dog through a donut dig it man so hey before we get started we have got some news to share with everyone three pieces of news first off steven and christina congratulations on the birth of your new grandson he is adorable Yes, another another grandson to bring into my lair and corrupt and teach and teach the ways of the asshole. Yes, and you are the master at that. Uh, Two, congratulations on your new guitar. That uh, video of yours shredding uh, Master of Puppets by Metallica at label 13. That was pretty good, man. I showed it to uh, Jamie, and she's like, oh, he's not full of bullshit about being a uh, musician. What the fuck, man? He's not. (laughs) Y'all think I just make shit up? Yes. Yes, we do. Oh, and three, you have got this important message that we need to give to our listeners. I mean, we had some great news recently. Why don't you tell everybody about it, Stephen? Yes, let the countdown begin, my balding friend. Let the countdown begin. We are going to be featured on Amazon Music, Amazon Podcast, 
what what's the lady Alexa? You know, whatever they call them it over there. We are going to be featured on the front page of their podcast, my brother, mm-hmm. for two straight weeks. Two weeks. And it's awesome because they only put their most listened to podcast yes. on their homepage. So I, I guess we have more than just those two or three listeners I thought we had. I know. It's not just my mother. It's fantastic. I know. You know <laughs> I know my wife doesn't listen to it, so it's got to be my mom. Mine. You know? <laughs> but how cool is that, man? Amazon is freaking huge. You know, you guys, you can catch us anywhere, of course. iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, wherever. We are everywhere, man. But Amazon Music sends us this email and says, hey, you guys got the shit. The scary season's coming up. We're putting you guys on the front fucking page for two weeks. Let's make them regret that decision. (laughs) Oh, and they will. They will. But hey, I'm no sure pressure on us because no. we're, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Exactly. We're going to continue to be ourselves uh, regardless of what others may think. Correct. So on today's show, we have got some really interesting things to talk about. And one of those is a topic that you brought up that I don't think that a lot of people in the paranormal world really give a whole lot of thought to. Um, I think that in today's paranormal community, everybody is so, um, you know, excited about getting, you know, that Holy grail, this uh, class, a EVP that, but there's other things that they don't really give much attention to. And, uh, you know, Stephen, why don't you tell everybody what that is? Cause not every time there, you know, a ghost is involved in a haunting. Well, you know, considering the experiences that you and I have had over decades and decades of research, mm-hmm. you know, we've come to learn that it's not always a ghost. And what I mean by that, the definition of a ghost, the figure or presence of somebody who once was. Okay. Right. But Rick, you 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 know as well as I do that it's not. It could be poltergeist activity, you know. Right. It, it could be something else. But what I want to talk about is phantom music. You know, the these these instances where you hear music or or somebody singing, and yeah, maybe the somebody singing could be be tailored to a ghost. Right. Um, but I, I've had cases, and I know you have too. Um, and we'll talk about those where the activity's been music, and that's it. So, yeah. Rick, why don't you share your experience with that? And and you know, how did you walk away from that? Did you walk away thinking, "Hey, a ghost just put a uh, tone loke in its ghostly CD player and hit play"? Was it a ghost that initiated it, or is this some kind of like recurring kind of phantom? recording is there more to the ghostly dimension than just ghosts oh absolutely um so i have a really interesting story concerning this when i was i think it was like i think i was maybe 17 or 18 years old and uh, my sister and i we were sitting watching tv and i was being forced to uh sit through another episode of full house and uh because that was like my sister's favorite show at the time because you know she's lame and i'm not so anyways we're sitting there we're watching it it's around christmas time and 
all of a sudden I hear this singing. It's like choral music, you know, like, um, so it, it sounds like a bunch of voices singing at one time. So I'm thinking it's like, okay, maybe we have uh, carolers at our front door. So I go down and check it out. We don't have anybody outside singing. Uh, I come back upstairs and my sister looks at me and she's like, what's, what's wrong with you? I'm like, you can't tell me you don't hear that singing. And she's like, I hear nothing. Like you hear no music, you hear no singing, you hear nothing. And she's like, no, I don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, just like that, it stopped. It was like this weird calm had come over the house. And, um, to this day, I have no explanation what that was. Now, I, I don't pretend to be a psychic or anything like that. I mean, you know, yeah, I may be a little bit more sensitive, but I don't think you get, I, I think that you get sensitive after many years of working in this field. Um, but this was one of the strangest things I've ever experienced out of a lifetime of strangeness. And the only thing that I can think of is that the veil between the afterlife and our house um, suddenly opened up and I was sensitive enough to hear this music. No, that's really cool. And, and I'll touch base real quick before I get to my story. Um, you, you said uh, you're not calling yourself psychic or sensitive or anything like that. Well, I've always thrown around uh, the the label or the phrase um, spiritually magnetized. Sure. sure. Um, I, I believe that magnetism plays a huge role in our research. And I, I think a lot of people will agree with that, especially considering the tools that we use to measure this stuff. Right. But okay. Spiritual magnetism. I, I've kind of like, like you were alluding to the more you're in this field, the more you're around uh, haunted locations, the more you're exposed to spiritual activity, I believe that kind of magnetizes you to where you're you're more susceptible to these things. And, and I know back at back at my peak with the with the pit crew, um, if we would spend two weeks solid at a location and we would return home, all of a sudden that same activity was happening at our, happening at our homes. Mm -hmm. um and it would you know kind of fizzle out two three days later and i right. believe that's because we were spiritually magnetized but as far as the audio i am going to use and i've got a clip to go with this as well um Ooh. it did it yeah it didn't even hit me until till you were telling your story that that i've got something to show um but many cases of hearing music and just music, nothing else, you know, no, no objects moving, nothing to uh, make you believe that um, there's a ghost. But you did document music and, mm -hmm. and I've heard all kinds. And I'm going to use the Brentwood Wine Bistro as an example, because that place is uh, significantly haunted. And I've spent more time researching that than any other location. Well, well over a decade. And there's a lot of information out there, guys, on YouTube, on the Brentwood Wine Bistro, if you want to look it up, evidence, investigations, that kind of thing. But, there, you know, I refer to that location as a beacon. Like somehow it's pulling all this stuff in. We have documented what sounds like, uh, and it had us going for a while. 
it sounded like a guy from uh, a pilot, a pilot from an aircraft mm-hmm. um, logging a date. He was like November 24th, 1962. It was real serious. And you're like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> but then but then you actually had music, which, you know, we've we've picked up uh, with our own two ears. Not, And I'm not talking EVP. OK, I'm talking hearing it at the time live as it's happening and it also ended up on our recordings so of course you try to do everything you can to disprove okay did an alarm clock just kick on somewhere in the building did somebody's cell phone you know whatever you try to figure it out but when you're the only one in there or you're with the only other person in there and you're hearing music where is it coming from why how and one of the greatest captures in relation to what we're discussing, um, it was me and Kevin McRae, uh, who happens to be a former uh, Air Force pilot, and mm-hmm. we were sitting in in the extending uh, the extended dining room. Uh, this is the the room that they built onto the Brentwood. Uh, it's the room where they would hold gatherings. I would do presentations there, book signings. It's a big room. Yeah, and Kevin and I are sitting in this room, and we ran uh analog we recorded on analog tape because uh, i believed you know you couldn't manipulate the tape you know something digital you can manipulate so uh kevin and i to set this video clip up kevin and i are sitting there doing a communication session and he's recording on his audio recorder Mm -hmm. well he goes to play it back and there is flat out it's not faint Dude, it's like he just popped his cassette out and put in the real cassette. I still, to this day, don't know what song it is. So those of you at home that are listening to the podcast or watching the TV version here, um, if you know what this song is, send me a message because I do not. (laughs) But anyways, this song from, it, it sounds like the late 50s, early 60s, which would have been right around the time um, the owner of that particular building uh, was still alive at her peak, that kind of thing. And uh, this song, he hits play. And and what's strange about it, Rick, is you can hear our communication session. Mm-hmm. You can hear my voice. You can hear Kevin's voice while this song is playing. And and we never reused tapes. It was never anything. Everything was brand new for every okay. investigation. It was a blank tape and kevin hits play this dated song from the 50s or 60s starts playing and you can actually hear our voice over top of it or okay. under it however you want to look at it. so i'm gonna play this clip for everybody you guys check that out this is phantom music that came out of nowhere and then we'll be right back okay so we're back it, it was really interesting this clip um at least 10 12 years old and i just kevin was dumbfounded and he even says in the video dude that was a blank tape how is there music on there you know so this not and what's interesting is we didn't hear anything we're doing a communication session and we didn't hear anything till we played it back and dude it's it's like full volume it's like the song was already there it's like you're listening it on Spotify or Amazon yeah, Music, or, yeah, or, or wherever else you can find the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talking TV, right? But where does this music come from, man? You know, is there some, 
you know, are we looking at the paranormal field completely wrong that ghosts have their own dimension, which I guess calling it that is a, is the best way to call it. Um, it's a dimension that we kind of bleed in and out of or mm-hmm. re- realm, whatever you want to call it. But does that mean everything, everything there's another version of? Yeah. Is, is that the way to put it? You know, is there another version of it? Is that why we can get music? Is that why we see ghost animals? Mm-hmm. You know, people saying the ghost cat at the, the Stanley Hotel, you know, stuff like that. I mean, what do you think, Rick? Well, see, there's a couple of different things that make me think of this. And it's not just music, which, you know, is sort of eerie and creepy in and of itself. But you also have things like phantom noises, like, you know, people hear things like in England where they hear plane crashes of planes going down uh, during World War II. Or you hear of like train crash, uh, uh, you know, train crashes, car crashes um, here in Chicago on the south side. We have uh, there. There was a um, a horrific accident that happened. I think it was back in the forties or fifties, where a uh, streetcar crashed and killed dozens of people. And people still hear this noise to this day. So you know, there's a couple of different things that make that that I really think of. First off, Stephen, you know, I hate the term residual haunting. I, th- it's that's one of those terms that I think was created by television. Yes. Um, you know, here in the United States, I actually prefer the term um, uh, the stone tape theory. And this actually comes out of parapsychology as well as the Society for Psychical Research. And this is the idea that uh, building materials or stone is able to absorb and retain energy that occurs and at certain times is able to. Uh, release that energy and people hear things like music or these train crashes or plane crashes or you know like on the south side of chicago where people are here this uh, hearing this trolley crash um i think that that could be an explanation second explanation um back in the old spiritualism days they believed in what was called the ether and this was kind of like a ghost or spirit dimension um that bleeds over into our reality and um, I think that that could be another explanation for what people are hearing when they hear things like phantom sounds and, and noises and whatever. Um, and another one to think of, uh, um, theoretical physicists believe that we aren't just living in a universe, but we're living in a multiverse where there are uh, literally countless uh, universes that make up this one whole multiverse. And every now and then those, and it's all run by string theory. And every once in a while they vibrate together and those multiverses or other realities are able to bleed into ourselves. And a lot of people seem to think that this is where things like hauntings come from, or like you said, with phantom animals or even cryptozoological beasts. Um, those are three things that I think of when I think of hearing this kind of thing. Okay. So with that being said, to close this topic out, it goes back to really one of my favorite topics. And that favorite topic is, what did you do to prove or disprove it? I, I, so, have, I have nothing to prove or disprove it. 
personally, but I mean, these are just, you know, thoughts and ideas that I have. And, and the reason I say that is because everybody at home listening or, or everybody watching the, the TV version, um, they're so excited, you know, when, when they, when they capture a voice mm-hmm. or, or music or, or something on video, but they leave it at that. They leave it at face value. Like, yeah, I just can't. Well, what did you do to disprove it or try to? Okay, because there is an actual illness, uh, musical ear syndrome. Oh, okay. It explains musical hallucinations. Okay. Okay, and it's a very common thing. It's where I you wonder can, if that's what I had when I was a teenager. You you can be in a completely quiet room. Or, or it happens to me all the time, especially when, I, when I'm going to bed. I'll, I'll lay there and, and I'll hear melodies, you know, or I'll hear rhythms, you know. And that could just be your, your ears trying to find something out of the fan that's running or the AC that's running, you know. But there is an actual illness, musical ear syndrome, that people uh, suffer from where – it's legit. You're you're nobody else is hearing it but you. Now mm-hmm. that's one thing. Okay. If you if you are by yourself, or let's say you and me are investigating something, and I say to you, Well, well, like you did in your case, you said, Did you not hear that? You know, did you, are you not hearing music or or whatever? Yeah. Well, if you weren't hearing it and I was, that would lead me to, you know what, maybe I need to go and get this checked out and have a doctor rule out. Do I have that syndrome? You know what okay. I'm saying? Because you didn't hear it. I did. Yeah. But when you have it on a recording, you know, like like the video clip we just played for everybody, that's a little bit different. You don't need to seek any, <laughs> you know, any outside validation. You've got a recording and, and more than one person heard it. That That's a little bit different. But when it's singular, I, I think you need to take it a step further and rule yourself out before saying, yes, I just captured phantom music. Right, right. You know, there's another thing, too, that I want to bring into this, because we were talking about, you know, hauntings where actual ghosts aren't involved. And I was just thinking about this the other day in phantom phone calls. Mm -hmm. That is definitely one of the most uh, common uh, forms of... um, you know, when, when, when people report something out of the ordinary or unexplained, and I just want to make it very clear to everyone, and I think that you'll agree with me on this, Stephen, that seeing a ghost or hearing a ghost, uh, you know, communicating with you is extraordinarily rare. Mm-hmm. But people hearing phantom music or getting phone calls from the dead um, is actually quite common and i get an interesting story and i wanted to share this with with you steven i don't know if i've ever told you this but i years ago i worked security for a um like one of those really like wealthy communities you know gated communities Mm -hmm. and uh we get a phone we get a phone call from the uh, lake county sheriff's deputies and they're like hey we're getting a phone call from this house and um well the guy is dead or he has been dead. We're getting 911 phone calls. And what happened is, is that this um, resident, this was before I started working there, had committed suicide in the house. And before committing suicide, he had called 911 to say, hey, I'm doing this. So when we got to the house, we walk in and there is a very 
eerie feeling in the house. And that's only because expectation, because we know that the guy shot himself in the house. But while we were there, we the Lake County Sheriff's deputy got a call over his radio that they had just received another 911 phone call from this house. There was no phones in the house. And they had actually... They, they were redoing um, the uh, telephony in the house because they were, you know, putting the phone lines in other areas of the house. So all of that was dead in the house, you know, for, you know, you know, pardon the pun. But um, they were still receiving these phone calls from the house. So I think, you know, that was just like a story that I wanted to tell because that's another one that people don't really think of phone calls from the dead. So is it a possibility that this guy was still uh, trying to communicate his suicide from beyond the grave? It certainly is possible. But, you know, going back to the phantom music thing, I I really honestly don't know what to think of this. I bring up those three theories that I have, and any one of those could be right, or none of them could be right. And that's why it's like we really have barely scratched the surface in paranormal research and investigation, although it's been around for almost 140 years, mm-hmm. we we haven't even scratched the surface on this yet. Yeah, and you know the the, the phone call thing uh, that's happened at the Brentwood. I want to say one of the early investigations, right at one o'clock. I mean, straight out of a horror movie, man. Right at one a.m., the main line where the the hostess would stand. Um, the main phone line starts ringing and I'm thinking, uh, why is chef Eric calling the restaurant? He could call my cell phone. And I looked down on the caller ID and the phone call was coming from itself. It wow. was, co- yes, it was coming from <laughs> itself. It's like, how, how is the restaurant calling itself? It was so interesting. And, and you mentioned the nine one one thing and that, that strikes a chord with me, Rick, because, mm-hmm. Um, when my wife and I were very heavy into uh, investigating uh, Norman the doll, uh, we had 911 calls go out of this house in the middle of the night. Yeah. To, to the point a sheriff shows up at the door saying, We're making 911 calls and hanging up. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, we weren't. Yeah. You know, so that's really interesting that 911 seems to be kind of, uh, I guess it's it's a way that if you're trying to express the importance of something, 911. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And, you know, it's interesting, too, because it's like you you hear a lot of calls to 911 um, with uh, poltergeist-like activity. Um, they get a lot of weird phone calls uh, that go out of that. I think of the Rosenheim per, uh, poltergeist case in the 1960s where they, the believe it or not, folks, there was a time when you could call a phone number and get the date and time. And th- they were getting hundreds and even thousands of phone calls to this. So this is something that does happen. Yes. And, and you know, I, it goes back to everything being connected electrical magnetic um i I think in the end that's how all of these mysteries are going to be solved but with that being said rick yes where are we going next where are we taking people next buddy 
Well, we're going to take them to Creature of the Week. And this yes. is one of my favorite creatures, and I honestly can't believe we've never we have we haven't talked about this creature yet. So, thanks to Anne Rice and her brilliant, you know, Vampire Chronicles novels, we would believe that that Louisiana or New Orleans is crawling with vampires. But that's not the only dangerous creature that calls the bayous and swamps of Louisiana and New Orleans home. They also fear the Rougarou. Now, this is one of the more interesting creatures. Um, another one that could be supernatural in origin, might exist, or just it doesn't really exist at all, and it's just kind of a, uh, a legendary creature. But what is a Rougarou? A Rougarou is a werewolf. And, you know, I love the werewolf legend. And the where we get the where, werewolf legend comes from France, uh, for the most part. They really did believe in what they called the loup garou, or you know, the werewolf, more or less. And when the French came over and settled in Louisiana and New Orleans, they brought this creature over with them. So, you know, let's take a look at some of these, um, some of the folklore concerning this. Um, the loup garou, of course, is French, and it is a werewolf and a man who can transform into an animal. But it would appear that this creature also appears in some of the local Native American um, tribal stories. And the Rougarou represents a variant, variant pronunciation and spelling of the original French loup garou, according to Barry Jean Ancelot. Um, the Rougarou legend has been spread for many generations, either directly from French settlement in Louisiana or New France, or via the French-Canadian immigrants. In Cajun legends, the creature is said to prowl the swamps around Acadiana and greater New Orleans and the sugarcane fields and woodlands of these regions. The Rougarou most often is described as a creature with a human body and the head of a wolf or dog similar to the werewolf legend. And according to another variation, the wolf-like beast will hunt down and kill Catholics who do not follow the rules of Lent. This co coincides with the French Catholic loup garou stories, according to which the method for turning into a werewolf is to break Lent seven years in a row. So I think this is a really interesting creature um, because, you know, it's, the werewolf is, has really become a part of um, our folklore in this country. Uh, we have the loup garou down there just north of me um, in um, Elkhorn, Wisconsin. We have the Beast of Bray Road. So it kind of really makes me wonder, Theo, uh, Theo oh my God, uh, Stephen, sorry about that. Are people seeing a werewolf or are people seeing what could be kind of a, a Bigfoot-like creature? What do you think, Stephen? Well, let's say it's real. Okay. We'll go go down this path. Assuming for a minute that it's real. Assuming it's real. You know, I, I think we see it with everything. Um, take 
canines, take dogs. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a dog lover. You're a dog level lover. How, how many different kinds of dogs are there? Hundreds. Lots, right? Yeah. How, okay. But they're all categorized canine, correct? So. Correct. How many different kinds of human beings are there? Many. Many, right? <laughs> Many. We've got different walks of life. That's what makes our, our existence just so awesome. Different cultures, different colors, different languages, but we're all human. Right. Okay, so it kind of goes back to Yeti, Sasquatch, Tennessee Skunk Ape, all these different variations of essentially the same creature. Yeah. Okay, a werewolf's a fucking werewolf, right? Mm-hmm. But every culture has their different name for it, you know, like yours, you know, Mr. Kangaroo or Ragaroo or Raganok or whatever. Rougarou. <laughs> the Rougarou. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, to me, you know, we've, we've had pictures on the screen uh, of this thing. It's but a like fucking a werewolf. It's a fucking werewolf. You yeah. know, it's a shapeshifter if you want to be specific about it, you know. Which goes back how many fucking years? How many different cultures? Centuries. You know, so all these different names, it, it's it's almost kind of like religion. Mm-hmm. A god is a fucking god. It's just yeah. we've all got different names for him or her or whatever you believe in, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think keep it simple. It, it's it's more of a again assuming it's real it's right. more of a environmental thing like like for me with the sasquatch the sasquatch the the yeti is a sasquatch whose coat turns white in the winter mm-hmm. for survival purposes that's sure. what i've always believed the abominable snowman it's all the same thing it's all the same thing so i think your ragnarok or ragaroo rugaroo rugaroo uh that, that's what if it exists i think it's just to put it simply a werewolf a shapeshifter see let's let, let's let's look at the religious connotations of this where it says that the uh, the text says um that it is a lapsed catholic who doesn't take lent now the whole idea of being bitten by a werewolf and then becoming a werewolf is something that is completely made up by hollywood that does not exist anywhere in the folklore. The folklore takes some very religious connotations. Um, this, of course, being with the Rougarou, with lapsed Catholics not taking Lent. Um, in, other, in other aspects of it, that a person makes a pact with a demon or the devil himself, and the devil gives them a salve for their skin or a, uh, or a wolf's pelt that they put on, and then boom, they turn into a werewolf and they can go out there and start eating people. So there is a certain level of um, religious-based fear that goes into something like the Rougarou or even, you know, the real folklore of vampires, uh, for example. Well, and I agree, you know, and and things things get altered and changed. Uh, You know, it's like, the, the old, you know, everybody who's got a story, if I tell you the story, then when you tell it to somebody else, details change, you know, that that kind of thing. And not not necessarily on purpose, 
it's just sometimes things get lost in translation right but yeah right. you've got the hey you've got to be bitten or scratched to become a werewolf or or you got to be bitten or scratched to become a zombie or you got to have your blood sucked out to become a vampire or you just got to drink the blood of the vampire to become the vampire you know there's right. all these different things that like you said uh man made up but or hollywood mm -hmm. um but man kind of made it all up sure sure you know everybody's got their own depiction of things you know if you and me were were out on an expedition and we witnessed some kind of creature that had never been seen before um and we call it something you know like our lichen pyre uh, and we determine, okay, this is how it hunts. This is how it attacks. This is what it feeds on. That's how it starts. Mm -hmm. It starts by basically an opinion. Mm -hmm. And then that later becomes what people believe. Right. Right. Yeah, when it could have just been a man in a suit and you and me were just, oh, we were just too drunk and it, and it became a damn story, you know? <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, with like, you know, prehistoric man, they had to come up with stories and they had to come up with gods or whatever, um, or fantastical creatures to explain um, na uh, the natural world around them. Um, but then again, I'm also a big believer that there is some kernel of truth to legends and mythology. And well, that kind of... Oh, go ahead. I think, I, well, I was just going to say, I think you kind of nailed it by using the word fear. Mm -hmm. Is everything that man wants you to subscribe to, there is a level of fear brought right. to it. A level of, of do this or I'm going to fucking spank you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you either believe in this or you're going to become this creature. Or, or if you commit a sin, you're going to hell. You know, there it, it's it's all rooted in fear to keep people in a line that they think you should be in. Mm -hmm. You know, but exactly. that's another topic for another day. What do we got next, Rick? Um, you know, we're gonna do some news of the weird, and we have again we have three stories to share with everyone, and these are some great stories. So here at the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talking TV. We have what we call news of the weird. These are news stories that really don't get uh, the time that they deserve in the, the mainstream media. This is real. So this is really interesting. Um, a padlocked vampire grave found in Poland with a sickle over its neck. This comes from the Heritage Daily, uh, which is, of course, a, a, uh, an alternative news source. And um, we have a picture of this. And Stephen, I think that you can you know, throw this picture up sure. um, from this article so that, so that folks can see it. So let's read this. Archaeologists from the Turin uh, Nicholas Copernicus University have found a grave from the 18th century containing a female vampire buried with a sickle over the neck to prevent her ascension to vampirism. The concept of a blood-sucking spirit or demon consuming human flesh has been told in mythology and folk tales of almost every civilization throughout the centuries. 
One of the earliest vampiric depictions stems from the cuneiform texts by the Akkadians, Sumerians, Assyrians, and Babylonians, where they referred to demonic figures such as the Lilu and the Lilitu. During the late 17th and early 18th centuries, the folklore of vampires, as we imagine, became rampant in the verbal traditions of local uh, European ethnic groups. So let's look a little bit more into this. Archaeologists found the burial near uh, Bidgojish. I'm <laughs> not pronouncing this correctly. So I apologize to any of our Polish listeners. Um, a city in northern Poland, an anthropological study revealed that she had protruding front teeth, suggesting that her appearance may have led superstitious locals in the 17th century to brand her a witch or a vampire. In fear of her ascension, a sickle was placed around her neck while a padlock was tied to the toes of her left foot. Referring to the sickle, Professor Darius Polinski from Nicholas Copernicus University explained that the position would have decapitated the individuals should they try to rise from the grave. Uh, despite the morbid nature of the grave, the woman was buried with a silk cap on her head, which was a luxury commodity in the 17th century, suggesting that the deceased held a high social status. Previous burials have been found in Poland showing anti-vampiric customs, such as several skeletons with severed heads unearthed in Krakow, or a burial in Kami Pomorski, which had a brick forced into the mouth. However, this is the first example in Poland where a sickle has been positioned to uh, prevent ascension to vampirism. So... This is a really interesting story because, of course, one of the long-time-held beliefs of dispatching a vampire into the afterlife is, of course, cutting the head off. And this is definitely, this is, I mean, is it, a, is it the possibility that this person was a dangerous, um, you know, possibly posed a danger to the community as either a vampire or a witch? What are your thoughts on this, Stephen? Uh, I think the people involved believed that mm -hmm. you I know they you know the average criminal let's say nowadays um goes out murders a couple people uh gets put to trial and goes to prison or gets the death sentence you know just whatever death penalty um back then if the same shit were to happen oh they were possessed by a demon or, oh, they were a vampire or whatever, you know? So it, it it's hard to say because, like I've said many times, um, history is a great telling of the intelligence of man. Correct. You know, like, like I've said, you know, when we believed uh, throwing a woman in a body of water and if she floated, she was a witch. So this poor woman would have to drown herself to prove that she wasn't. You know, that, that's kind of how people thought back then. You know, they weren't too bright. So, yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. They probably truly believed that this individual uh, was some kind of creature because no human being could ever act that way. Sure, sure. You know, <laughs> but it, again, if we assume it's real. Mm hmm. If we assume it's real, I, I still kind of don't get the logic. Well, it, it's just it's one of those things where like it's oddly specific. You know, it isn't like the, you know, the grave of Matthew Hassel over in um, Great Britain where they have like steel pole, poles 
and, uh, you know, chains and locks over the grave to keep him from rising from the grave. No, I mean, this, they took the time and made the effort to put a sickle across this, whoever's individual's throat with a padlock around the toe that just on the off chance that they should rise from the grave, that it's going to take their head clean off. So, I mean, this is like, this is so oddly specific that it's like, maybe this person really what did have something going on. But the, the other, you know, aspects of the burial is, is that she was buried in things that no, you know, Polish peasant in the 17th century or 18th century or whatever um, is uh, they're not going to be buried with. I mean, this showed a person of high social standing. So, Hey man, I don't know. I mean, maybe this was really a vampire or maybe this was just some asshole rich person that they really hated that much. I don't know, man. It, it's like the more I'm thinking about it, it's why not just uh, separate the head before you bury it and bury the head somewhere else? That was my thought. Exactly. I'm like, why not just just cut the head off and bury the body over here and bury the head over here? I mean, at what oh. at what velocity does one rise from the grave? I mean, if, if, if I'm laying there and I've got a blade here and I, I start to kind of wake up and I lift up, oh, oh, wait, whoa, whoa, let me move this out of the way. You know, it, it's like they're just going to shoot up at like 75 miles an hour and sever their own head. <laughs> yeah, it's time to get like a radar on those, uh, yeah, those uh, people possibly. I'm, I'm not buying it, Hale. I'm not buying it either. It's it's an interesting burial, though. It's an interesting story and something to think about. But let's move on to our second story. You got one for us today, Stephen. And this one's really interesting and uh, um, not altogether fucked up. But yeah, go ahead. Well, this one is fantastic, my friend. I know it is. You know, because where in the hell, other than this show, ladies and gentlemen, do we bring up a headline that says, Man accused of killing friend claims it was to stop him from summoning Sasquatch. I read this. <laughs> this guy reportedly feared that Bigfoot was coming to eat him. Now I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to read this entire article, but this happened in Oklahoma, folks. So what a shocker! Yeah, if your buddy out there in Oklahoma wants to take you hunting or fishing make sure you really know him he could be taking you as bait okay? yeah and, and that's what larry sanders believe it or not is his name that's what he thinks he was out with his friend jimmy knighton both of these guys 53 years old larry and jimmy larry, out on a hunt larry and jimmy man they, they were going fishing man they were going for catfish and larry claimed that while at the river he discovered Jimmy intended to feed him to Bigfoot. Now, how he discovered this, maybe Jimmy just flat out said, look, dude, I'm bringing you out here kind of as a sacrifice. I'm going to feed you to Bigfoot. Because as we all know, Sasquatch has been known to be a carnivore. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, most, <laughs> so, you know, with teeth like ours and everything. But, sure. okay. Larry indicated Jimmy attempted to get away from him so that the Sasquatch could eat Larry, you know, because Jimmy didn't, he, he wasn't going to let Sasquatch eat him. He's good. You're going to eat my buddy here. Okay. 
So he's saying that his friend basically tricked him into being out there. Um, the sheriff, on the other hand, a- after um, he killed his friend to save his own life. I oh, mean, of course. Completely understandable. Yeah. Uh, the sheriff said that there was clearly um, some influence of the uh, drug and alcohol type. Uh, Time to get off the pipe, my dear. You know? <laughs> so uh, he he had told the police that his friend summoned Bigfoot to come and kill him. And that's why he had to kill his buddy. You know, that's open and shut, Rick. Oh, that yeah. Is open and shut. And now, how you, and how do you try a case like that? I, like, I, well, I, I think they're going to go with the drug angle. Okay. <laughs> because the same guy who killed his buddy, uh, he had outstanding warrants. Mm. All right. And he was placed on probation for five years for bringing meth to jail. Oh, so it's not Sasquatch related. Oh, well, you know, he's now facing a first degree murder charge, Rick. Um, but I, I would just like to be a fly on the prison wall, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, like we've all been to prison. You know, we, we all know what that life's like. No, <laughs> not so much. Anyway. But could you imagine, because, you know, like one of the first questions you get, according to the movies, is, hey, man, what are you in for? Dude, I had to kill my best friend, man. He was going to feed me to fucking Sasquatch. You know, that may be a way to get left alone in prison. Well, now that that, that's kind of what I I was I was going to say with when it is tried and if it's tried, um, this is I think that this this guy is trying is he killed his friend for whatever reason, possibly drug related, because we know how they love their meth down there. Yes. And he's like, wow, I need to come up with this amazing story to make myself sound like a crazy person. So I could, you know, get off and uh, just be sent to a psychiatric hospital. And, it, and a lot of people do that. And they never think that it's like it is extraordinarily rare for anybody to ever get off of a murder from a murder case because you are considered psychiatrically, psychologically incompetent or you're considered a crazy person. I mean, it is so rare. And really, what is rare than some meth head saying that, you know, hey, I killed my best friend because, well, he was going to feed me to Sasquatch. I mean, yeah, that's going to like get him off. But at the same time, Rick, the at the heart of every famous fucking ghost story that Hollywood has just ran into the ground Mm -hmm. at the heart of it has been drugs and alcohol. Oh, yeah. William Defoe. Amy DeVille, drugs and alcohol, haunting in Connecticut. Druggy. Yep. Okay. So are we saying that we can't believe drug addicts? <laughs> yeah, boy, that's a hard one. I mean, really? I mean, what, what happens, Rick? If, if let's say you go out, you and your wife go out and you enjoy some wine or something, you got you a little mm-hmm. buzz going on, and you come home and a ghost attacks you. I'd believe you. Oh, well, yeah, but, I mean, but, but everybody else would say, ah, he was just drunk, you know. 
Oh, you got to think of the idea, like, you know, is it a hallucinate? Is, is it hallucinations caused by hallucinogen? Obviously, wine doesn't cause hallucinations. Meth doesn't cause hallucinations. So I'm going with the angle that this guy's trying to use this to get off a murder rap by saying he's a fucking crazy person. Well, to close this out, man, I want to see a team go down to this fishing spot because clearly he was being set up to be dinner. Mm -hmm. Which means Sasquatch was there. More than likely. So we need a team down there, Expedition Bigfoot, uh, Bigfoot's TV show, whatever these shows are called that do Bigfoot. They need to send them down there because there could be hair samples. There could be all kinds of things, man. And, uh, you know, poop samples with human DNA found in it. Yes, because Bigfoot is eating people down in Oklahoma. So... Our third and final story with News of the Weird takes us to another area of the country known for its meth heads. That's right, America's dick-shaped state, Florida. Now, this one is really weird, and I'm trying to wrap my mind around why this is happening. But according to the headline, porta-potties going missing across southwest Florida. So for whatever reason, somebody in Southwest Florida is stealing porta potties um, and doing, you know, God knows what with them. So it says here that the cameras were rolling in a Buckingham neighborhood when a when someone stole a porta potty from a construction site. The incident happened on Insdale Road on August 12th. Neighbors said construction projects are booming in the area. It's why no one questioned the person who loaded the portable toilet on a lift and drove off. Uh, Steve Mammon lives on the street and was able to track it down and take the dog for a ride on a golf cart every afternoon because apparently people in Florida, they all own golf carts. After what we discovered, it was gone. I noticed it was at a different site, said Mammon. The toilet was dumped on an, on an empty lot across from a work site about a block away from where it was taken. Mammon says he may know why it was borrowed. They didn't have a porta potty, so they couldn't get an inspection without the porta potty. So they just came and nabbed this one. So this is another one where it's like, what the fuck is going on here, man? Why are people stealing porta potties um, and then dumping it in a field? Good lord, man! Dude, when when you gotta go, you gotta go. Yeah, you really do. And I mean, I if I needed one bad enough, I'm sure that I would take the time and the effort to load one up on the back of a truck and take it wherever I need. Clearly, clearly they take their shit seriously. <laughs> that was a dad joke. Boom. Bam, son. Bam. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, we're just Be all on- kinds of fun. Be on the lookout for stolen porta potties in Southwest Florida. Fantastic, Rick. Fantastic. So, we've had a wonderful discussion about phantom music, how we've all heard it at one time or another. Mm-hmm. We've even shown some footage, and you guys listening to the podcast, uh, you can watch the, the visual version at channel label 13 on YouTube or check out our Facebook facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative but speaking of that we want to hear what you think what is your reasoning for phantom music where does it come from drop some science on us man hit us up at facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative or write us at shadow initiative talk at gmail.com we're open to suggestions 
where it is who is the phantom music composer that is the burning question and we've thrown out some really weird fucking news today uh we've got somebody stealing shit we've got a vampire who's going to decapitate itself and uh we've got a meth head who has killed his other meth head because of bigfoot (laughs) and possibly bigfoot on meth yeah, impossible. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's yeah. why he's addicted to meth. He can't smoke it, so he's got to eat a meth head. Mm. Dude, we just cracked it. We that's just it. cracked it. That is cracked. The case is closed. SVU can go home. Dude, as like back in my drinking days, dude, I, I would never get bit by a mosquito ever. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would watch a mosquito come down and land on my arm, and I'd see it sucking the blood alcohol content up. And then that he would go to fly, dead, dead, OD, yep. just fall right out of the sky. So that's awesome. that. If you can't afford your own drugs, kids, just eat somebody who doesn't. That's <laughs> that's that's the answer. That is the way. That is the best high for the buy. <laughs> Fantastic, brilliant. So we're gonna get Underwood and Peter. We're gonna continue. Rick's journey with Peter Underwood trailing Peter Underwood. You know, it's been a lot of shit talk, so now we're going to talk about the trails it leaves behind. Oh my god. So, yeah, uh so I am doing part 2 of Trailing Peter Underwood. It is a series that I wrote for um, What was that? Oh, uh for Spooky Isles. Um, Did you hear like a grunt? I don't know what that it was, was like a uh, something like that, that. That was very strange, but okay. I'm Rick Hale, and this is Ghostwatch. In 1991, the New York Supreme Court Appellate Division handed down a landmark ruling after a strange case landed on the docket. According to Stambovsky versus Ackley, the previous owner of a house could be held liable if they fail to disclose that the property they are selling is haunted. The Ghostbuster ruling, as it came to be called, brought haunted houses or stigmatized properties to the national scene. If a court ruled that houses can be ha- haunted, then ghosts most certainly exist. Peter Underwood has been in a number of haunted houses through his long career of hunting ghosts, including a haunted council house in Nottingham in 1961, where the ghost took a bit of a shine to a teenage girl who lived in the house. Paranormal author and president of the prestigious ghost club, Peter Underwood, consistently maintained a certain amount of skepticism where council houses were concerned. He believed that most residents of council houses claimed they had a ghost just so they could change houses. This changed when a colleague from the Ghost Club brought him a case involving Charles Hill and his family who resided in a council house in Nottingham's Billboro Estates. After being fully apprised of the haunting, Peter Underwood believed it was worth a visit. And so with his wife and Ghost Club members, Frida and Stuart Kiernander, the small band of ghost hunters set out for Nottingham. When they arrived, they discovered Charles, along with his 17-year-old daughter, Sandra, and two younger children were staying with friends. According to Charles, he and his kids fled the house and were too terrified to return. 
As the interview began, Charles, a bus conductor, never believed in ghosts or any such nonsense. However, his mind was changed after what he had seen. While asleep, Charles was awakened by what sounded like a person walking around in his room. When he was fully awake, Charles watched as a young man in a white shirt, tan trousers, and a handkerchief wrapped around his neck walked to the window. When the figure vanished, Charles fell back to sleep, believing that what he saw was nothing more than a dream. A reasonable assumption as such things do happen. However, this was not an isolated incident. Charles went on to say that a few nights later, he was sitting up in bed watching TV while smoking a cigarette. Suddenly, the man appeared again, following the same path as before. Except this time, he didn't appear to be as solid, rather somewhat hazy. This time, Charles knew what he had seen and decided to keep the sightings from Sandra and his other children. Unfortunately, his best efforts were all for naught. A few nights later, Sandra, who had just come home from a brief stay in hospital, witnessed the apparition on the stairs. He was looking down at her, almost as if he knew her. When the apparition vanished, Sandra let out a blood-curdling scream that disturbed everyone in the house. That night, Charles and his three children swiftly left the house and refused to return. After hearing their story, Peter Underwood was convinced they had truly experienced something unexplained. An investigation of the council house was necessary to get to the bottom of the haunting. So Peter assembled a team of seasoned ghost club members and embarked on one of his more curious cases. While sitting vigil in the haunted house, several knocks were heard, followed by the unmistakable sound of footsteps. Before beginning the investigation, Peter Underwood made it very clear that all investigations must remain sitting, and they followed that rule without deviation. Whatever made those footsteps wasn't anyone alive. Later, as Peter sat in the room, the silence was shattered by what could only be described as a single gunshot coming from within the room. Was the ghost revealing how it died? As the night wore on, Sandra Hill and a member of the ghost club were sitting in her room when the teenage girl let out a piercing scream that shook the house. After being removed from the room and regaining her composure, Sandra said the young man appeared and walked into her wardrobe. Peter was understandably confused by this odd turn of events. Why would the ghost walk into a wardrobe and vanish? At this point, it was time to hold a seance and hopefully get some answers from the ghost himself. During the seance, the ghost came forward and stated that he had lived in the house and admitted to killing himself. When asked why he was troubling Sandra, all were dismayed when he admitted to being infatuated with a young woman. According to him, he felt good being around her. When the seance was over, the investigation came to a close, but the detective work was about to begin. They needed to track down anything they could find of the ghost and see if there was any truth to his claim of ending his own life. What they soon discovered would shock everyone who was present for the investigation. Not long after the investigation, a ghost club member managed to track down the ghost's elderly mother residing in Bristol. When they questioned her, the elderly woman told a heartbreaking story that confirmed everything the ghost told her. Years earlier, she and her son were living in the council house when tragedy struck. Her son and a friend had a window cleaning business, and while on the job, their scaffold broke. The friend plunged to his death, 
but her son was paralyzed from the fall. Unable to cope with what had happened, her son became despondent and shot himself in the head with one shot. The desperate act was committed in the room where Charles Hill slept. As for his affection for Sandra, she was close to his age and he was attracted to both her beauty and her love for life. Peter Underwood later learned that Charles and his children moved to another home and was never troubled by the lovelorn ghost ever again. I'm Rick Hale, and this was Ghost Watch. Fantastic. Yeah, it's a really interesting case because you got to wonder, it's like, do people on the other side still have their emotions? Can they still fall in love? Can they still feel uh, pain? Can they still feel sadness? Can they still feel happiness? Well, what do you got there, buddy? Oh, I'm sorry. Due to the millions that you and I get paid, we have to show our sponsors, New Orleans, Kettle Style, Evil Eye. Mm. Delicious. All right. Obligation done. Evil Eye. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a no-brainer, man. Mm -hmm. I know I I'm crunching in everybody's ear. Yeah, thanks for that. You're welcome. I think that's a no-brainer. Of course emotion is there. That's why we document anger. We document compassion. You know, I mean, there is... I have yet to talk to a ghost that sounds like a robot. This unless is you're using a ghost box. Right. <laughs> right. But that shit's all made up anyway. So, of course there's emotion, man. I think... I know for me personally, I there's a lot I would hold on to, I believe. I believe. But it is interesting nonetheless. That's a conversation for another show too, man. Yeah. I mean, hey, if you're a good person in life, you're going to be a good person in death. Or if you're an asshole in life, you're going to be an asshole in death. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think if we are to believe that our personality and consciousness uh, continues on, then of course the emotions or the knowledge of those emotions um, should be there. Correct. So, hey, man, it was a great show. Yes, it was. Do I owe you $5 for saying that? Rick, you're so far in the fucking hole right now, oh man. God, I know. God, you're, you're worse than a vagina on a Las Vegas hooker. I'm not wow. sure. I'm, I'm really. I don't, even I, know what that, I don't even know what that means, but shh, okay. And that's why I want you to think about it. <laughs> I'll be thinking about that all day today. All right, guys, you know where to check us out. And here in a few weeks, me and old Ricky going to be big time. Yeah, we're going to the big leagues, boy. Yeah, our faces everywhere on Amazon. That's right. They they decided to really put the prime in Amazon Prime. Hell yeah, they did. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, hey, and again, it's you know they look our numbers must be more than the two or three people that we suspected. So thank you for that. Yes, it's fantastic and perfect for the season. You know, all these people are going to discover us for the very first time, and oh. and they're going to be like, damn, anybody can do a podcast. Oh yeah, no, I, I hey. We are living proof that anybody can do a podcast. 
That's right. Well, all right, my friends, you know where to find us. Facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative or www.shadowinitiativetv.com. That's your hub for everything, man. You can get to us everywhere. Exactly. And, you know, another thing that we always need to share, and it's like, man, you know, Stephen, I would love to do an entire show dedicated to the stories of our listeners. So if you have a story concerning, you know, a haunting or an encounter with, you know, Bigfoot, you know, uh, hopefully not a meth addicted one like down there in Oklahoma that's eating people or aliens. Or Jimmy. Yeah, Poor Jimmy. whatever, man. Or Jimmy. Um, or, you know, psychic activity, whatever. Please write us and let us know. It's like, I feel like I'm like practically on my knees begging for this at the end of every show. So Stephen, if people want to send us their stories, and like I said, I would love to dedicate an entire episode to this. Tell them where they can send it. Shadow initiative talk at gmail.com, which you can easily access us through the website, shadowinitiativetv.com. There's a little link. You can hit contact, send us your story. As a matter of fact, Rick, at some point today, I will put up on our Facebook, our social media accounts that we are seeking your stories, folks, for an entire show. Rick's baby here, dedicated to our listeners and their stories, where we'll tell the story, give our opinion, and move on to the next. But we've got to get those stories, folks. Let's give them a deadline, Rick. Let's say October 15th. Sounds good to me. And we'll have this shit ready for Halloween. Yeah, we can make it like our Halloween episode. I mean, I think that would be great. Yes. Or if your story is compelling enough, we may actually have you on the show as a guest, like we did with Sean Bonney last year. Yes, which is fantastic. If you guys never heard that episode, Haunted Survivor Sean Bonney, excellent. I mean, he, he poured his heart out to us. You want to hear the real deal, listen to that episode. That's not somebody from TV. This is your average person, just like you and me. That's right. So guys, we will talk to you all next week.